Okay, well, let's get ready to open up God's word together. Dear God, as we pause, as we seek your face, as we seek to learn from you and your word, I pray that you would speak, that you would lead us into your truth, you would train us to be your people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So this is the first Sunday in the year of our Lord, 2024, which sounds like a fake year. I will say, as I was thinking about 2024, that sounded like one of those futuristic movies that they would make where they put a date on it that sounded so outlandishly far in the future that it feels strange. And now it's here. So that's fun. (laughs) But as the calendar turns and we begin this fresh circuit around the sun, I have a question for you. In what way will this year be new? So newness comes in different flavors. Greek has two words to explain newness. One is neos, and the other is kainos. Say neos, kainos. Perfect. Neos speaks of the sort of newness that is um, sequential. Something is new because it's more recent in time. It's, It's young, it's fresh, it's hot off the presses, it's recently minted. You know, you can go into the grocery store and they say, hey, this bread is new. It came out of the oven more recently than the stuff you've got at home. In contrast, kainos speaks of a newness in character, in quality. Hey, this bread is new. It's never been available before. This is a handcrafted loaf made with artisanal ingredients, with ungenetically modified grain imported from Europe. It's new. You've never had anything like this. It's of a different nature entirely. So what sort of new year are you hoping for? A neos year or a kainos year? Full disclosure, I tend to be cynical about New Year's celebrations, resolutions, etc. Anyone else there? another year, but this year will be so much like last year because there's nothing new under the sun. New year, new you? No, new year, same you, same old lump. It's not like we get, yeah, it's not like we get a fresh reservoir of willpower or of transformative potential every new year, right? Ah, There's no special magic that comes with the purchase of a new calendar. It's all a bunch of hooey. But as 2024 begins, my cynical inner voice gets drowned out in a flood of renewed hope and optimism because there is a special magic at work in the universe. It didn't dawn on New Year's morning. It dawned on that first Easter morning. And now we live within and beneath this cosmic pronouncement drawn from my favorite verse in all of Scripture, Revelation 21.5. And we hear this reverberating from heaven, the voice of Jesus. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. This reality has been secured for us by Jesus' death and his victory over the grave, I am making all things new. 
What do you think? Is it neos or kainos? I am making all things kainos, new in character, new in nature, new in quality. And what did we read at the start of the service? If anyone is in Christ, he is a kainos creation. The old, the archaic, that which belongs to the previous age has passed away. See, the kainos, the new, has come. So as we start this year, we know that there's a real possibility for change, a true potential for us to experience growth, healing, and transformation, an actual opportunity for us to develop in maturity, in impact, in intimacy with the Lord and with others, to develop as the men and women, boys and girls, who reflect the heart of Christ and give witness to his power and grace out in the world. With Jesus and with his spirit who now resides and works in those of us who are his, there can be something new under the sun. So in light of this possibility of newness, I and the staff and the elders, we want to equip you this year to live wisely and well. Jesus can and will, if you allow him, make all things new, even you. But you will need to trust him and you will need to surrender to his leadership and guidance. It says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make straight your paths. To experience experience this we need to exercise trust but we also need to gain understanding to learn Jesus's way to discover what it means to know him in the conduct and the direction of our lives so to this end we are going to begin 2024 in the most practical of all new testament books the book of james So it's this piece of correspondence written to the first century believers who are scattered across the Mediterranean world. It's a letter penned by someone who had a front row seat to Jesus's life and ministry. And there goes my spot. I'll find it in a second. Because this is Jesus's half-brother, James. He's the biological son of Mary and Joseph, He was a man who was once skeptical of Jesus' claims and his ministry, but after his half-brother's death and his resurrection, James becomes a leader in the first church in history, the Jewish Christian community there in Jerusalem. He becomes the chief elder, the head pastor of the church, and the writings that he leaves behind for us, they're direct, they're instructive with no fluff, He trains us in the way of Jesus and how to walk in the newness of life that God makes available to us in Christ. So we're going to dive in. And if you could, please stand for the reading of God's word. And if this sounds a little different to your ears, I have uh, switched translations this year because sometimes on a new year, I like to hear God's word with fresh ears. And there are so many Uh, incredibly accurate, well-done translations out there that I have switched just for fun to the CSB. 
You're welcome, Gene Smarr. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, But let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You may be seated. Those are the first 12 verses of the book of James. And in this opening section, James introduces us to his letter's dominant themes. There's three of them. He says, if you want to experience newness of life, the newness of life that Jesus makes available to us, a Christ follower must exercise joyful endurance, recognize our desperate need for God's wisdom and embrace the great reversals, the social, societal, spiritual changes that God's kingdom brings about. And James is going to spend the rest of the letter fleshing out exactly what that means and how we live it. But we're going to just unpack that very first theme this morning. Consider it a great joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience trials. Where to start? In your life on this planet, even if you've been caught up in God's, I keep, new Bible, it doesn't stay open like my old Bible does. I don't know, Gene, I might have to go back. No, just kidding. In this life, we will face trials, even if we've been caught up in God's gospel story, even if we are safe and secure in God's hand, we will face a wide variety of difficulties. Raise your hand. How many of you are right now dealing with something hard? Wow, that's fewer than I thought. Good on you. Hey, don't seek it out. But here's the point. Following Jesus does not shelter you from experiencing adversity. That's our first point on our sermon notes. That's the first point that James wants to drive home. Following Jesus will not shelter you from experiencing adversity. If you came through those doors thinking Jesus was the ticket to an easy life, I am sorry. Christians will face trials. But... We do not face them alone. 
But why would James tell us to consider the challenges we face a great joy? First, I want us to recognize that consider is a verb of thought, not emotion. James is not instructing us about how we should feel, but rather how we should think when we come against trying circumstances. It's not that you must feel happy that your department is downsizing and they're eliminating your position. You don't have to manifest some positive disposition to the fact that your son was diagnosed with ADHD. You don't have to slap a fake smile on your face when you're having strife with your neighbor. In many of those situations, grief, frustration, disappointment, anger are appropriate emotions. And we're not commanded to suppress those feelings, but rather to express them and to process them in the privacy of your prayer life with the Lord. As it says in Psalm 4, the Lord will hear when I call to him, be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while you're on your bed and be silent. We bring the rawness and the reality of our feelings to Jesus, but James is not talking to us about our feelings. He's talking to us about our thoughts. Emotions are important, but they are data, not directives. And despite how we feel, James trains us how we ought to account mentally for hardship. He says, consider it, reckon it a pure joy. What then is joy? Because joy and hardships don't naturally go together in my mind. Well, in Scripture, joy is not a fleeting feeling. It is a fruit of God's Spirit. It is a lasting state of being that God's presence and power produces in us. And here's our definition. Joy is settled contentment in every situation. And it's rooted in one's choice to trust that God is good and he will fulfill his promises. As one scholar puts it, joy is an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, unadulterated, thankful trust in God. When you enter the time of internal or external testing, don't revolt, but be settled in your spirit, content that even in the darkest valley, Christ is trustworthy. He cares for you and will be with you. He's proving himself faithful, strong, and true. Well, God may never have intended for you to see such pain, difficulty, and tragedy. Remember, we live in a broken world and we reap what we sow. But God can use even the most ugly and the most challenging situations to accomplish his ultimate will. After all, he is the God who brings forth beauty from the ashes and life from the grave. And I have to think about this as I am going through hard things myself. That is not just something that I need to focus all my energy to escape from. Having kids that are young is hard. 
And I can just go into my back room and say, get older, get older, get older, get older, get older. Or I can realize that even this is a difficult season, God is doing something in it. He can work His will. He can shape me as a father. He can use me to be a blessing to my kids. We can count any adversity as a great joy because, he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James prompts us to recognize the positive potential of trials and to infuse those difficulties with a redemptive purpose. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, which is this little volume that the Christian thinker in Oxford Don, he wrote it as he was processing his wife's untimely death from cancer at 45. And I find something that he says in that book incredibly helpful. He says, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. So don't misread the James passage. Jesus' brother is not claiming that God sends us trials in order to assess the genuineness of our faith like he's some capricious professor popping quizzes on us to expose what we do and do not know, to expose the relative strength of our courage and conviction. That's not what this is talking about. We need better metaphors. No, trials serve to prove and to temper our faith. Think of what it means to prove dough or to temper steel. When you make yeasted bread, the baker works the yeast manually through the dough, and then he lets it rest in a contained and in a warm place, and the bread rises. The yeast permeates the dough. It starts to ferment. It produces the gases that will lift and leaven the loaf. It's as if trials and tribulations work into us God's power and into us a reliance upon his character that allows Christ's strength and peace and presence to permeate every part of our being. He enables us to rise to maturity, to grow into wholeness, ultimately to feed others. I know more about baking which is not much, than I do about metals. But from what I understand, to metal is heated to burn away impurities that are inherent in the metal. And then it's tempered, it's heated and cooled, heated and cooled, heated and cooled to transform that inner molecular structure of the metal to make it less brittle, to make it less susceptible to stress, and to make it more workable in the hand of the craftsman so he can shape it to his good purposes. You see, I think we have this assessment of how we're doing in the Lord, but as Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. We think we trust God. We think we're dependent upon him. But then when a trial comes, we actually get to see the true state of things, right? And it's actually only under strain that our faith muscles can grow. It's in times 
of trial where our salvation, which is from God and by grace, is worked out in fear and trembling. I think of Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me? And before the hour of trial, he was all pride and bravado. Even if everyone falls away, I will not. If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Then the hour of trial comes. He abandons Jesus in his hour of desperate need. He denies him three times publicly. Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? He says, of course you know I love you. But now it's real. He knows what it meant to be a sinner saved by grace. He knows what it meant to have Christ's power perfected in his weakness. It was Satan who had wanted to see him sifted like wheat. Yet Jesus, after praying for his friend that his faith would not fail, with joy presses forward to the cross. He knows, he's content. He knows that his friend's trial is not for his destruction. It is for his coming into wholeness that he might mature and lack nothing, that he might be strengthened into the rock upon which Jesus might build his church. You see, trials serve to cultivate within us a joyful endurance. That's my word for 2024. And I know I'm positively disposed to it because I uh, am a former cross-country runner, but there's great contentedness. There's great victory in pressing through pain and monotony and just continuing to put one foot in front of the other as you blaze ahead on the trail. The Greek word for endurance means remaining under. It's this picture of someone who's carrying a heavy load and successfully carrying it for a long time. Other translations are steadfastness, fortitude, perseverance, stick-to-itiveness, heroic obedience. I particularly like long obedience in the same direction and faith stretched out. You see, we want to do these great things for God that are flashy and bold, and he says, actually, what I really want is long obedience in the same direction direction. I want to see your faith worked out and stretched out and endure regardless of circumstance, season, or the difficulty of the terrain. You see, joyful endurance forms us into the whole, integrated, Christ-embodying people that God intends for us to be. And I can let you in on a little secret. Endurance runners don't run mile after mile because we endure, enjoy agony and pain, right? You want run to win races, right? You run to explore wild and beautiful places. You run for the faces, the fellowship, the, the camaraderie that comes with doing hard things with other people. You run to put yourself through the paces, right? To see to discover the strength that God has given you, to develop as an athlete, to realize that amazing capacity, both in mind and body, that God has made available to us. And the same is true for those who exercise joyful endurance in our real spiritual lives. Those who endure 
joyfully get to actually know God. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. They're enduring with joy. We won't compromise even if you chuck us in there. And what happens? They meet Jesus in the flames. They get to know him, the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection in a way that you wouldn't get without joyful endurance through trials. You get to see God move when you joyfully endure. Paul and Silas singing in prison, praying, trusting, and those prison doors get opened and those chains fall off. Those who endure are shaped and they start to look like Jesus. It says in Romans, we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It is God's ultimate desire to conform us into the image of his son. That's our ultimate destiny. But when we trust God and when we joyfully endure, this is when we become clay in his hands where he shapes us to look like Jesus. And then finally, those who endure are useful to God and his purposes. Blessed is the one who endures trials because he, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We run in such a way to win a prize. We run to see people come to know the Lord and know his salvation. We come to be useful in the hands of our Father for his good purposes on the earth as he's making all things new in our families, in our communities, in our world. So as we end, what various trials are you facing right now? I want you to think about that. The people who got this letter were dealing with real things, poverty, harassment, bereavement, disease, the same real things that we are enduring. In the face of this, James calls them to be content with their circumstances, to trust Jesus' power, and to joyfully endure. What are your trials? And how might you shift your thinking to consider the positive potential of this difficulty? And what is your next step of joyful endurance. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. But as we think about this, I want us to respond. And I think the most natural response is confession, commitment, and conviction. We confess that, you know what? Uh, We're quitters, God. We're addicted to our own comfort. And it is we who choose out of courage not you who fail to prove yourself faithful. Jesus, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've broken the power of evil, sin, and death. You've secured our victory. You're making all things new. If you are for us, who can be against us? If you preserved your son through death and hell, you can preserve us through this season. You are not capricious. You shape us for your good purposes. So we 
confess that to the Lord. And then we choose to consider these things great joys. Lord, I will trust. I believe. Help my unbelief. Grant me the wisdom and the insight to see your redemptive purposes. But even if I cannot, I will follow. Because you are good and I trust you. And then conviction. There are things that the Lord is inviting you to. Positive steps to keep walking. To not choose the detour, but to trust Him in faithfulness. Take those next steps. I don't know what those are for you, but as we listen to the Spirit, as we reflect, as we discern, obey, trust, and let Him show up and make this season a great joy, even despite the challenge and the hardship. So let's pray. Dear God, Lord, we we confess to you that sometimes we quit. Lord, we quit and we do not trust that you are good, that you are who you say you are. And where there might be a moment where you want to show up in power, you might want to show up in your presence, we choose out because we are not sure we can trust you. And we confess that it is our weakness that sometimes gets us from where we, you want us to be, where you can show up and move with power, Lord. And we trust you. We commit. We bring before you all these various trials. And we trust you to give us the strength, the power, the wisdom to walk forward in joyful endurance as you make us whole as you show up to make the world new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.